0: Heavenly Father, we're going to open up your scriptures today. And Lord, we're going to allow your scriptures to speak in this place. And Father, I pray your scripture will speak so clearly to us. Lord, something I pray every week or almost every week, Father, is that I truly believe we are here today, not by accident. We didn't show up in this place this morning to worship just because of happenstance. We showed up, Lord, because you have drawn us to this place, which means you have a reason for us to be here today. Part of that reason, maybe you want to talk to us, you want to speak to us. And Lord, I firmly believe that you have a message for each and every person in this room. And so I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would deliver that message. I pray, Lord, you take these words that you have given me and, and you multiply them further than I could ever dream or imagine. Father, I pray against distraction today. Sometimes we come in here and we're thinking about what's going on this week. We're thinking about maybe a health challenge or a marital challenge or a parenting challenge or just Monday's coming. And, Lord, those kind of distractions or the world that we live in and the stresses of this world can distract us from hearing from you. So, God, would you remove the distractions Open our ears and open our eyes and open our heart to hear from you, to receive your word and to be willing to put your word into practice. Father, we commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1976. Apple. Someone was born that year, I guess. (laughs) 1976 is when Apple was founded by three men. Steve Jobs... So you know that name went on to be the CEO and the chairman of that company, probably the f- most famous of the three. Steve Wozniak, which you probably have heard his name too, he was the mastermind behind the Apple One and the Apple II computer. Very interesting to go look at some of those pictures of those big old computers back then. And then the third guy you've probably never heard of, unless you're like a computer geek nerd, you're like, yeah, I know that name. Ronald Wayne. Most of us probably never heard that name. I never heard that name. Ronald Wayne uh, sketched the first Apple logo. He wrote some of the very first training manuals. He wrote the first partnership agreement that actually started Apple Company. And Ronald Wayne was a 10% shareholder in Apple. Now, this day, 2017, there are over 5.2 billion shares of Apple being traded to this day. And they are valued at over $150 per share. Now, that's actually low for Apple stock, if you understand stock market, because here, about a year ago, it was over $500 a share. But they're down to $150 a share, and he had 10% stake. You realize 10% share would be worth over $8 billion today. Let that sink in for a moment. $8 $8 billion with a B, not million, $8 billion. However, two weeks after getting his 10% share, Ronald Wayne sold out for $800. Ouch. For $800. Now, the story is told that Steve Jobs actually offered him, to say, hey, come, come back in here, you helped us found this company, jump back in, and he, he, he declined to do that. You talk about a huge mistake. I mean, you talk about a colossal failure, you talk about momental, uh, a monumental failure, he blew it big time, big time. I mean, he'd be a billionaire with just 10%. Some even might call him a fool. Some would say, hey, he's foolish. Why would you have sold out so early in a company, or, or why didn't you at least take the opportunity to jump back in? What a fool you are. In our text today, we mean a man who made a similar mistake. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. As we look at the story of this this parable about a man who made a very foolish decision. Unfortunately, this fool that we meet in our text today, he's not alone. The story that we're going to read about this morning has been repeated hundreds and thousands and possibly millions of times down through the ages. As a matter of fact, there may be even somebody in this room today who you could say, this is my story. Well, I encourage you to listen in closely because none of us want to be known as a fool when it comes to who we are in Christ. Look at the text with me Luke chapter 12 beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." Jesus replied, "Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you?" Then he said to them, "Watch out Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. All in all I say to myself. Now the word myself in some translations is better translated soul. I will say to my soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Let me give you a little background understanding to this. Huge crowds were following Jesus. Huge meaning thousands. If you look at verse 1, it says thousands had gathered and they were trampling over each other. You ever been in a situation where you're kind of like trampling, you're like afraid if you fall, you're going to be ran over and your life will be taken from you? That's the type of crowd that they were in and they're all pushing upon each other and people were following Jesus not because of what he was saying. They were following because they wanted to watch what was known as kind of the greatest show in town. Hey, I want to be there he, he, he just rose someone from the dead I want to see him do that again Hey, you remember that leper, that guy that was, was all lepers? He, he, now leprosy's all gone. You remember that guy by that pool of Bethsaida? The guy who sat there for 30 plus years begging, and all of a sudden Jesus says, Here, and he's healed? I, I want to see that. And so thousands of people are gathering around watching what's the next miracle that's going to take place. What's Jesus going to do? They weren't really concerned about what he was saying, and so they were just curious. And Jesus speaks to this crowd, and he warns them of two dangers one is false religion and two is financial riches and in our text both of these start with the same word the word is beware the big the big warning sign out there you know the white with the red letters beware going to hurt yourself beware verse 1 Of the leaven, or yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, they get their claws into you and it's just spreading like a wildfire. Verse 15, beware and be on your guard against all covetedness. Every form of greed, some translations. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One commentator said, if you get the wrong spiritual teaching and the wrong spiritual influence, your soul will be damned. If you get the wrong physical influence and the wrong material influence, your soul will be damned. The deceitfulness of religion and deceitfulness of riches war against the soul. And ironically, false teachers do what they do for money. They rob, steal Destroy, trick people out of their money. And this is true of the Pharisees as well. The Pharisees were hyper-religious. They knew all of the laws, and, and they were trying to keep all the laws and all the rules. They were fanatically religious, and they were impressing it upon other people. Follow all the laws. Be fanatics, religious. But they were doing it for the cause of money. Luke six sixteen fourteen tells us that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Lovers of money. And so they impressed the Pharisees' false religion for the sake of personal financial gain. See, the reality is, is you are either laying up treasures for yourself or you're rich towards God. And that's a truth that we all need to face. See, we enjoy a staggering prosperity here in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world. Even in the downturn we had, but it's now been such an upturn. We have so much. We have so many possessions that they actually possess us. We are being consumed by consumption. We're more rich towards our stuff than we are rich towards God. Maybe you don't believe me on this. Consider just this one thought. According to the IBS world, annual self-storage revenue, where you put all your junk, was estimated to be $36 billion industry in 2016, and projected to rise to $37.5 billion in 2017. If you're looking for a real estate investment, that's maybe where you want to go. And just look how many have popped up around our own city. For people to have extra garage space, to put things in boxes, to put the boxes inside of the garage space so that dust and rats and mice can get into it. And you pay about $85 a month on average for one of those units. Henry David Thoreau in his book Walden observed that people in his village spent their lives accumulating objects that needed constant dusting. They doted on these things. They even built their lives around them. He says, then when they died, they gathered up their stuff, carted it to the town square and auctioned it off to the other people who would spend their lives dusting it. And you stop and think about it for a moment. What do you have in your home? And you say, oh, yeah, I had to have that in an auction. Oh, I had to have that at a garage sale. Oh, I need more stuff. Oh, yeah, that was passed down. And now I've got to take care of all this stuff and keep it all clean and protect it and dust it and make sure it looks pretty. First Timothy, Paul Warns Timothy these words, he says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Exactly ties with the parable of the rich fool pursuing wealthy gain instead of pursuing God. See, the slogan of America is typically if we just had a little bit more money. Have you ever said that before? If I just had a little bit more, I could cover that bill. If I just had a little bit more, I would get out of debt. If I just had a little bit more. Did you know that most people will say that and will believe it, that the road to financial freedom is by having a little bit more, but every financial advisor would tell you that's not true? You ever been through Dave Ramsey's FPU, Financial Peace University? One thing he says is, it's not about having more. Because it's absolutely not true. You say, well, how do I know it's not true? Well, I know I would love to have $30 million, or next time the big old lottery comes and it's 400000000 million, I'd love to have it, but you and I would probably do the same thing. We would probably blow it. We think we could manage it well, but did you know that 78% of NFL athletes are financially broke within two years of retirement? Some of them may be broke before retirement if the thing turns upside down on its head. of NBA players are broke within five years. Within five years. Make millions and be broke within five years. And 70% of lottery winners go broke within five years. They win the millions and it's gone. So it's not about having more. More money will not solve your financial problems. However, we get locked in and we get laser focused about having more money, more stuff, more, more, more. I want more. And Henry Thurdo hit it right on the head. We are just getting more stuff to dust. One day, the truth is you you and I will all turn to dust and somebody else will get your stuff to dust. So what are we pursuing? Jesus is teaching the people about the danger of false teachers and religions and the hypocrisy of Pharisees. He goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit and how important it is that you do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about how the Holy Spirit will be there for them in times of troubles and difficulties and, and in persecution. And then all of a sudden this guy speaks up. Teacher, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now get the picture. Remember, there's thousands upon thousands and Jesus is telling them about all this important stuff about about false teachers and about how money can destroy your life and about how the Holy Spirit is so good. And imagine this guy. Teacher! 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 He got the inheritance. He's not dividing it right. Tell him what to do with my money. Because he's more concerned about his stuff than he is about the kingdom of God. He starts drawing in on that. And Jesus says... Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? See, there were specific laws on how an inheritance was supposed to be handled in Israel. According to Deuteronomy 21 and Numbers 27, the firstborn was to receive the inheritance, and then it was their job to disperse that inheritance to all the other siblings. And it was already laid out in Scripture. And so Jesus says, why are you asking me to be your judge? It's already been decided. And Jesus was really telling us, man, you you don't understand. See, Jesus was on his way to the cross, and he wasn't going to get sidetracked by earthly matters. He was on his way to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He didn't come to the earth to do some run-of-the-mill rabbi stuff and settle petty disputes among the people. That's what the rabbi's job was were to do. He came to be the judge of every man and every woman and every boy and every girl and matters of eternity and show people how to get to eternity with God. That's what he came for. It wasn't get sidetracked with money stuff. Jesus was essentially saying to this man, you really want me to be your judge? I mean, do you, do you really know what you're asking? And then Jesus warns him, be on guard, be aware of every form of greed. Then he followed the statement with one of the most powerful parables, the parable of the rich fool. The the man in the parable wasn't just rich, he was filthy stinking rich. I mean, he had so much money, he didn't even know what to do with it. He just experienced a great harvest like he had never experienced before, and it created a problem of, what am I going to do with all the surplus? And, And so what does the man do? He decides to build more barns, store up the stuff, wait for the price to go up, and then he could sell it at a higher price. Verse 19 says, and I'll say to myself... I'll say to my soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, the guys, like, I've been blessed with so much stuff. Let's just build more barns and more barns and more barns. And then when I have all these barns, I'll hold on all this stuff. And when the price skyrockets, then I'll sell stuff and I'll make more money. Where he could have said, I have such a surplus. My family's been taken care of. Let me now share with those in the community. But he said, I'll keep it for myself. And then I'll take life easy, which means I'll retire. I'm going to kick back and take it easy. Did you notice, though, in the text, within three verses, 11 times, he says, I or my. He's focused on me, myself, and I. Chuck Swindoll said, I would paraphrase the story in today's terms like this. The business of a wealthy entrepreneur was off the chart." Every idea worked. Every decision succeeded. He had a new accounts each month, and the money rolled in. He began thinking, this is a gold mine. My major problem is out-of-control growth. I'm running out of space. There seems to be no end in sight. This is my plan. I will enlarge headquarters and multiply my staff. I'll add a warehouse nearby and open several branches, each for the next 10 years, exactly as my consultant has suggested. As the business continues to grow, I'll slip further and further out of the picture and leave the work in the hands of my efficient executive staff and I'll just take the profits and enjoy them. I might even retire early. And then in the text, Jesus says, here's the shocker, but God said. But God said, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, That's, that's you knucklehead, you stubborn one, you hard-headed person. You, you ignorant person. Are you that foolish? The very, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This very night, you're going to lose your life. This very night, you, you won't wake up in the morning. This very night, all the stuff that you have worked for is going to be left to somebody else. Do you know what the materialist worst nightmare is? That somebody else will get it all. You build your life and build your life for all this stuff and you think, who's going to get this when I'm done with it? You work hard for it, you save for it, you plan for it, and somebody else gets it. See, you never know when it's all coming to an end. We don't know what tomorrow brings. You've heard the stories and you know, maybe know a person For me, it was my father at the age of 68 who was getting dressed and ready to come to church and loading his vehicle to go home back to Michigan after church when he dropped dead of a massive heart attack. You don't know when it's going to happen. And you may think, well, I have this afternoon, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I have tomorrow, and I have Wednesday, and next month I'm going to do this, and next six months I'm going to do this. And it's okay to make plans and to dream, but it's not okay to do that and ignore God Almighty how foolish to make plans and spend all your money and no thought of God. Listen to me on this. Don't gamble with your life. Don't gamble with your life. Be rich towards God. That's what Jesus is trying to get the attention of. You're gambling and playing a game and we don't know what tomorrow brings. The application of this parable is found in verse 21. It says so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. Jesus goes on to say, don't worry about anything. He says, trust in me in the text. He goes on to encourage and put, put God and his kingdom first. And then in verse 33, he tells him to lay up treasures in heaven. So when God has blessed you, invest in, in kingdom type stuff. And then verse 34, he concludes with, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And brings it right home. What you invest in is what your heart will follow. In other words, when you invest in all these things of the earth, your heart will be tied to the earth. But when you invest in the things of the kingdom, your heart will align with the kingdom. See, the rich fool made at least three major mistakes. Probably more than that, but three that I see. One is he thought his bank account was more important than his Bible. What's life been like lately for you and your use of the Bible? How often are you opening the Bible and reading the Bible and, and, and engaging with the Bible and relying on the Bible to be your guidebook, to be your compass that sets your direction for life? See, the problem, was, the problem was his success. The problem was his stewardship of his success. It wasn't the fact that he was successful that it was a problem. It was the fact that he didn't know how to manage that success. God's not against success. As a matter of fact, he wants to bless you and he's happy for you when you are successful. He just wants you to manage your success by the Bible and not me, myself, and I. He said, I, 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 and my, 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 when the Lord wants us to look at it and say, what does God want me to do with this blessing that I have here on earth? God's not against our success. He's a source of it. Deuteronomy 8.18 tells us that God gives us the ability to produce wealth. He has given us that ability. So how do you think he feels when he blesses us and then we turn our back on him and go our own way and say, it's mine. It's mine. Second major mistake was he thought his body was more important than his soul. He said he was going to say to himself, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. All about the material things of life. Take care of my body. I want to be happy. Isn't that the slogan of America? As long as you are happy. As as long as you're happy, that's good. And we say that so many times, and that's what's going on, is that it has nothing to do with the soul. He was thinking about his body, and he's not thinking about his soul that is going to go on to eternity, and his soul needs to be saved. And a man had no thought of these things. All he was concerned about is, am I happy? Does it feel good? It feels good to have more barns and more stuff or more vacation homes or more cars or or more things around me or larger bank accounts because that just makes me feel good. And the guy was concerned about how he felt and not concerned about where he was going to spend eternity because he wasn't rich towards God. The third mistake was he thought the temporal was more important than the eternal. He said to himself or said to his soul, I have ample goods laid up for many years. He's just resting in his stuff. I have a lot of good stuff. He thought he had many years, but he didn't know he was going to be dead before daybreak. He, God said he was a fool. In other words, I say to him, he was spiritually bankrupt. What a tragic story if that was your life or my life. If I have all kinds of stuff in this world, but I'm spiritually bankrupt towards God. I'm not rich towards God. So let me share with you, as we shared some last week, talking about this idea of being all in to ask you to put it all on the line for God, to put it all on the line. And we talked about some of these things last week. How can we live wisely and not foolishly like the rich fool? How can we do that? Let me give you a, a couple of suggestions. One, make sure you've gone all in in your commitment to Christ. There's a few groups of people in this room. One group of, of people are people who you know, I'm rich towards God. I'm pursuing God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. I love Him the best I possibly can. I'm growing in Christ, and it's a great place to be at in your walk with Christ. There are some, though, in this room who at one time or another, maybe you accepted Christ as Savior, and at one time you were, you were pursuing Christ, but life has gotten away. The weeds, are, weeds of life have choked out your, your faith, and you're just kind of on cruise control, or maybe you've even gone backwards somewhat, or you're just kind of playing the game of Christianity, and really, my Bible doesn't mean much to me, prayer doesn't mean much to me, my life with God, yes, I believe in Jesus, but there's no fruit, or there's no joy in that walk could be time for a u-turn or a time for a new commitment and a third group of people maybe in this room or someone who's never accepted jesus as savior you never confessed you never put your faith in. you never repented of your ways and said i need jesus my savior and follow him in christian baptism we had a baptism first service young man by the name of, of william eight years old some of us need to follow in that example And I'll tell you, as adults, many times we get so prideful and we're like, oh, I'm okay. Some of us need to surrender to God and maybe that's your all-in commitment to Christ and you would be wise today to make your commitment to Christ real and strong. A second area is to go all-in with your prayers for our community. Been talking about this since we broke ground on the building a couple of weeks ago, and we ask you, and we continue with this, is we've handed out sticks like this at the groundbreaking, and we're gonna have them available for a few more weeks here still. I've been asking you to take a stake and write names of people on the stake that we want to be praying for who need to know the love of Christ. And you can look around the room, and you can see we've attached them around the bottom of the walls. We're surrounded by people who need to know the love of Christ, who are your friends and your family your co-workers. I said this last week, we have about 130 active families. You know, we know thousands of people between this congregation. We could impact thousands. And I don't want to build and add on to this facility if we're not going to build into people's lives by being prayer warriors and battle for their soul. And so we've asked you to put names on these and to pray, and this is going to stay up. And here in a few moments, I'm going to be opportunity to do that even right here in this room. So maybe start thinking, God, who is it I need to be praying for? Who is it that doesn't know Jesus? Because we want to be on a battleground of prayer and be all in for people and go on the line for them battling for their soul. A third area is to go all in with the dollars that God blesses you with. And that's specifically what he's talking about here in this text. Are you rich towards God? We covered this a few weeks ago, but one of the first basic areas of that is the tithe is that you bring 10% of what God blesses you with in your paycheck, you bring it back to the storehouse, and the local storehouse in the New Testament is the local church. So if you made $100 this week, you take $10, and you bring that to the offering plate and say, God, I'm bringing back 10%. I'm trusting you. I'm all in. If you made $1,000, you bring $100 back and say, God, I'm all in. If you made $10,000 this week, then you bring back $1,000. Say, God, I am all in in my tithe. But there's a larger call to that in Scripture, and it's called an offering. An offering is when you go above and beyond the tithe and say, God, I love you, and I love your kingdom so much, and I want my treasures to go into your kingdom works. So I want my heart to follow in your kingdom work. And we've asked you to consider doing an offering that's even larger on the stakes back here. It's $1,000 written on a stake. I'm asking you to take a stake home with you today. They're located on the tables in the back room. You take a steak home with you and you plant it in your garden or put it in your grass or put it on your dining room table or put it in your kitchen and you start praying and saying, God, would you provide $1,000 for me through me for the billing addition? We need about 125000 more dollars to finish off that project. And You say, well, preacher, that's a big, big amount for my family. Are you asking me to give that? I'm asking you to give that if God blesses you with that. I'm asking you to start praying towards that. Start praying, God, would you do something big in me? Would you help me to have a prayer that would be a sacrifice? For my family to give $1,000 in six six months, God's going to have to show up in my budget somewhere. Or he's going to have to show me how to be a better budgeter, (laughs) one or the other. He can do it either way. But start praying, God, would you provide $1,000 for my family? If all of our families that are part of CenterPoint, if God answers that prayer, which I believe he will, and maybe even answer it more abundantly than we could ever dream or imagine, then when we open that facility next spring, we'll open it debt-free. And that's been our goal from day one. So I want to ask you to take a stake. Now, you may say that number needs a change. We just did 1,000. It was easy math. Maybe you need to cross that out. And for you, you're going to pray for 500 because you know that would be a huge stretch. Maybe you need to cross that out and it needs to be 2500 because you go, thousands are not even a sacrifice, I could do that today and won't even miss it. For some, you could write a check for $5,000 a day and won't even miss it. I want you to pray for a number that would be a sacrifice. Pray for a number that you know has to, will only happen if God is in it. Say, God, would you do that through my family so that we can make more space to reach the community? And when we're serious about praying for these names around here, this room will be jam-packed full. This morning in first service, we had to pull out three extra rows of chairs, one on each section. Because it was so full in here, first service. Because God's doing something around here. And this service has been more full lately. And obviously, we're getting surrounded by homes. So can we be all in and on the line for God, for His kingdom work? Let's be rich towards God. Not rich towards this world, not rich towards the possessions of this world, not rich about my bank account, not rich about my future, but rich about God and the future of souls. The rich towards God and his kingdom.